Hey everybody, it's Colton Steinbaugh here, uh, again with the Inspire Podcast, and we are super excited to celebrate our sixth episode of our Women Transforming Manufacturing series. Uh, along with me, representing Dean Houston, we've got Dana Aerosmith. How you doing, Dana? I am doing well. And most importantly, no offense, Dana, we've got <laughs> our guest of honor, Denise Rice president and founder of Peak Performance and director of the Tennessee Manufacturers Association. Um, after graduating from Syracuse University with a BSEE degree, Denise started as an engineer, then morphed into management roles with Corning and affiliate Cormatech, eventually rising to director of worldwide manufacturing effectiveness before leaving to start Peak Performance, a consulting firm for workforce development. But that's just a little bit of the story Denise, thanks so much for being here. Do you want to fill in some gaps before we jump in? Oh, sure. Happy to. And I am very pleased to be here. So thank you, Dana. And thank you, Colton. Um, but as you said, yes, I have an electrical engineering degree from Syracuse. Um, I, I actually didn't join Corning right away. I actually joined another company. We were an equipment manufacturer. 30 years ago when I started in the industry, I was doing PLC um, programming work. And I was with the team, the commissioning team, that went to a Kimberly-Clark plant. And the minute I walked through the double doors of the production facility, I knew that that's where I needed to be. I needed to be in manufacturing. And it was just a few short months uh, after that that um, I was packing up and moving to State College, Pennsylvania, to be part of the Corning team. Uh, I continued to take on more roles and become a plant manager. And as typical, um, plant managers find themselves moving their locations about every five to seven years. Uh, funny story is in uh, 2005, um, I was with the Corning Mitsubishi joint venture called Cormatech, and we were expanding into business into China. And I met with my um, superior at that time, and I told him that I was interested in being a plant manager in China. Since I was interested in an international assignment, he wanted to uh, relocate me to our plant in southeast Tennessee. So, um, true story. Uh, Denise, it's apparent that like that love of manufacturing is something that's really inspired you throughout your career. And I think one of the things that's so fascinating, you know, and all the work you're doing with, with peak performance um, really your role is to, to take that experience and passion and, and keep a pulse on manufacturing trends and issues and identify challenge and opportunities, you know, so that your manufacturing members can be prepared. Um, you know, bringing that into the present day, what was that like in 2020? <laughs> well, what can I say? You like everybody else. You know, the, the 2020 buzzwords uh, for the year were, you know, unprecedented, uh, our new normal, pivot. Um, but as I mentioned, I'm really an engineer at heart. So how does that affect and change the way we do business and really trying to apply that and prepare for that? And I think that there's three areas that will forever be changed um, by 2020. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd just like to take a moment to take each one a little bit separately. Uh, the first one is public health and safety, and these are changes that are going to stick with us, and in fact, some of the norms that we are um, going to look at and wonder why we hadn't adopted them sooner. So things like cleanliness and disinfecting uh, in our facilities um, for our, our, our employees, our customers, and our vendors, 
Um, we have changed the expectation of shared workspaces, shared tools, and shared common areas. Um, also, our approach to illness and absenteeism in the manufacturing industry, it was a badge of honor to come to work, even if you weren't feeling well, if you had a cough or a headache. Um, we still came. If weather was good, weather was, was not so good, we still came. We worked days, we worked nights. You know, we're considered essential workers and we're dependent on, on that drive for us. And that badge of honor, we have to stop and take a look at that and say, you know, there may be situations when that's not a good idea to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, remote work. As a, as a former plant manager, I was always against remote working. Um, but I think that as we look and see how we've had to, to work through 2020, there are jobs and travel that, that can be done remotely. I think the second item is supply chain, and we got caught totally unprepared. Um, while some manufacturers to chose to take a shutdown, uh, many of them had to unexpectedly shut down because they did not have robust supply chains. And being dependent on one source with no contingency plan or even the ripple effect of a plant that was in Germany or a plant in China or a plant in Mexico that had shut down and how it impacted our ability to uh, obtain raw materials and, and keep our, our facilities uh, running. So I think there'll be a big focus on, on, uh, on supply chain and securing those. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, um, by no doubt, one of the biggest impacts will be technology and not only the how technology impacts manufacturing, but how it impacts our workforce. Um, it is no doubt that the pandemic has accelerated our adoption of Industry 4.0. You know, those are incredible insights. And, you know, I think about also your role as the, the director of the Tennessee Manufacturers Association. I mean, you're probably talking to prominent individuals with big problems mm -hmm. all the time. You know, and, and maybe you you spoke a lot to those in the three points you just mentioned, but when you're out there and you're you're talking to you know the members of that organization and, and these manufacturers, what are the common questions that probably drove a lot of those insights you just gave us that you're hearing and seeing? Well, the first one is still no doubt the COVID nineteen regulations and guidelines. So. There are several agencies that are providing guidelines and regulations. We have the WHO, the CDC, OSHA, the EEOC, and none of them are collaborating. And so trying to wade through those and determine what works for your business has been, uh, it's, it's a big challenge for, for companies. And so we have done that work and we are providing those solutions through a healthy business series, um, which is comprised of two parts. Part one is the employer certification. And this is a three-hour um, workplace training for the leadership of your factory. Um, so that would be like your HR managers, your safety, um, even your, your COVID-19 um, coordinators. And then part two is completely online, one-hour employee training, which is provided um, both in English and Spanish and can actually be accessed by a mobile device. Because obviously, at you know during the, the pandemic, you don't want to pull 100 employees or or even 25 employees into a, a conference room and try to train them on uh, what they need to do to stay safe. So it's really important that we have um, we have the ability to access them um, through their mobile device. And we're providing that through um, the Tennessee Manufacturers Association, the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, as well as the California Manufacturers and Technology Association. 
all of them are had some very robust um, programs around it. I think the second thing uh, that I'm really hearing about is diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think this really shook a lot of people last year, but we were so overwhelmed by the pandemic that there wasn't a lot of um, activity. And most recently, our manufacturers um, across the country are really starting to, to ask how um, as an employer, do I address unconscious bias? How do I overcome the, uh, how do I have set intentional um, uh, actions to overcome barriers which are created by uh, systemic racism and sexism? And we're starting to have those conversations around these topics now, um, both in New Jersey and in Tennessee, um, through those associations, we'll be holding uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training workshops, uh, and those start up in March. And then lastly, which has been since 2017, uh, has always been in the top of our manufacturers is the workforce. And for a long time, manufacturing has been plagued not only with a labor shortage, but a skill gap. And um, we at one time, we had four times the retirees leaving the industry as we did number of emerging workers entering the industry. Now, don't get me wrong, that is still continues to be a problem. But we do see that some of our efforts that we are making in changing the perception of a manufacturing career are taking hold. And our younger generation is 7% more likely to consider working in the manufacturing industry and 12% less likely to view it as being in decline. And I know those numbers are small, but it is a big change from where we were. And um, so we really are um, excited about that. And then I mentioned this other part of the skill, skills gap, and that continues to exist in manufacturing. And in order to keep our, our workforce current, with the emerging trends and new technology, we really need to commit to micro-learning. And when I say micro-learning, I'm talking about not really requiring our incumbent workers to go out and get college degrees, but just keeping up with badges and certifications that are on specific skills that they can, that they can apply in the workplace. Now, Denise, do you think that, you know, related to the skills gap, that that is the biggest opportunities manufacturers have in this post-pandemic world? Yes, and we know that this pandemic has accelerated technology, it has accelerated our adoption of technology, it has accelerated our adoption of Industry 4.0. And um, so we're in a position where we already have a skills gap, and we're now we're just gonna exasperate that uh, to be even larger. Um, and if you think about through the pandemic, some of the components of Industry 4.0 that um, really helped manufacturers such as systems integration or cloud-based solutions, look at us today, um, as, as much as we love it or hate it, we are communicating uh, over the cloud today. And these were heavily relied on uh, during the last year um, by manufacturers and will continue to do that. Um, automation and robots are identified as key to helping manufacturers survive during this time of social distancing. And even the high level of absenteeism that they're experiencing either due to employees being out for illness or because they're quarantining due to, due to being exposed um, 
really um, having to, to rely on their automation. And we just don't have enough um, technology deployed yet, but worse, we don't have enough people with the skills to operate and maintain the technology. And so um, I think we need to realize that manufacturing jobs are not going to be replaced with technology. They're going to augment and support them. Um, but the manufacturing jobs that are currently out there are definitely going to change and require a different skill set. So, you know, looking at that, you know, and the idea of workforce development to kind of address those changes and like this rapid necessary adoption of things like automation and in robotics, what are some of the ways that you're seeing companies start to address that or maybe even some of the opportunities that are out there for manufacturers who are looking to help their workforce develop around some of these new advancements in technology? Um, as far as, as your, the opportunities, one, I, I would like to just reiterate again, diversity and recruitment. Um, and, and that is, um, to help with the labor shortage. And then the second would be the upskilling of the incumbent workers. And I talk about emergent workers and, and incumbent workers. And incumbent workers are those people that are already in the, in the position. So they already have some um, a manufacturing experience. Emergent workers is our new generation that, that is entering the workforce. So, um, so I wanna start with diversity and recruitment. And if you recall earlier, I, I mentioned this perfect storm of shortage of workers as well as the skill gap. But we can solve that shortage by intentionally attracting a more uh, diverse workforce. And I'm talking both race or ethnicity and gender. And you know, we don't wanna leave out a huge portion of the, of the population just because we're, we're not really attracting them. And so we need to understand what is it that is um, not attracting them. The larger our pool is that we attract, of course, the, the more opportunity that we have to have the, the best and the brightest uh, um, workers. The second one I was talking about, about was upskilling our incumbent workers into a higher technical position. And you know, if we can install automation that helps increase an employee's productivity, we're also helping to, to solve the, the labor shortage problem that we're having. Um, but that comes with, with two things. Not only do we upskill them, but we also have to recognize that they now are at a higher skill, which is a higher, uh, higher pay um, and also a higher quality of life. We have also seen studies that have been done that show the cities that do have more automation actually attract more uh, companies into their area and also the subsystems, uh, you know, the sub companies to, to help with that. So I know that there's a little bit of fear that robots and automation is going to replace jobs and that people won't have jobs, but I just don't believe that that's the case. I think it's just going to change the jobs. And we've, we've had automation for many, many years. And I guess we could go back to the 1950s. And, you know, at some point, I'm sure people thought that switch operator, you know, operators working switchboards, you know, automation was coming in and, and that, you know, we were going to have all these unemployed people. But really what it did is it changed what was needed um, for that position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, nobody, nobody complains about the printing press, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and with that, like, are there any innovative or, you know, maybe if it's just an anecdotal story on some of the ways that technology is helping people train, like, I don't know, maybe on the fronts of VR, augmented reality, or even virtual learning, which you mentioned a little bit about. I mean, what are your thoughts on some of those things? Well, I think one of the things that is most exciting is the Tennessee Manufacturers Association is really working very hard to gain support for a Smart Factory Institute, um, which would be a business-driven effort driving innovation in technology. Uh, manufacturing is constantly evolving, and Industry 4.0 is going to make marked changes on, on modern manufacturing. And so their idea is to... Um, is to really support this public-private venture. And there's a lot of research out there showing that uh, public-private is the, is the best way to go because of the commitment that you have from the community as well as from, from your officials on that. And it's intended to exist inside the Volkswagen Academy right here in Chattanooga, and which would really anchor Tennessee as a location for advanced manufacturing. But bigger than that, it is networked globally around the world with other institutes that would be in Hanover, Germany, where the first uh, Smart Factory Institute uh, started up, Foshan, China, where they had an institute since 2017, Nanjing, China, which opened up last year. Uh, there's, uh, um, uh, in, we're in works in Qingdao, China, as well as uh, Morocco and um, Port Elizabeth, South Africa. And so creating this global um, network where we are working together uh, to support manufacturing and um, ensure that we have um, these essential workers are upskilling and, and moving and becoming a par uh, partners um, in this organization of advanced manufacturing. Well, that is uh, really interesting. So to go back even further, um, you know, you spent time in manufacturing. What was it that made you take that leap to start peak performance and become a consultant and advisor to a broader group of manufacturers with bigger challenges than just one company? When I was a plant manager at the site here in Tennessee, um, I really struggled with finding the right personnel with the right skills. And so I became very involved in the community, working with the community colleges, the high schools, um, and a lot of the other organizations um, in here. And actually, we started to branch out into organizations even more nationally around making sure that we had developed the right workforce. And one of the things is there was so much focus on the emergent worker and we lost track of the incumbent worker. And in manufacturing, it is a career of lifelong learning um, because manufacturing changes so much. And so there was a real need. And I think one of the things that really did it for me is I remember I would send our maintenance, um, uh, I'm not gonna say the, the companies, but I would send our, our maintenance um, to out of state for a week for training on some automation. And half of their training was spent on kind of a sales pitch on uh, automation that we didn't even have in our plant, but automation that they wanted us to purchase. And also it was delivered in a way, a week of training, that that's not how an incumbent worker, it's not best delivered for an incumbent worker. They really need it 
to be really applicable and needs to be very relevant to the work that they're doing and the skills need to be applied. They have a lot on their plate. They have full-time jobs, families, you know, um, mortgages, houses to take care of. And so um, they really need direct micro learning uh, opportunities. And so I felt that I could really help uh, manufacturers by providing that. And it was incredible when we started peak performance and started to get the words out we grew uh 300 in the first year and we were offering plc and robot training and then we just continued to get asked questions and so we now offer leadership training team building training diversity training um we offer six sigma um a white green and and um uh, black belt uh, we offer project management um, and we just continue to respond to the request um, by our manufacturers I think what one of the things that's really attractive is is that um, all of our my instructors uh, that are working in the technical areas have come from a manufacturing background so they know what it's like to work the night shift they know what it's like to have a plant manager breathing down your neck because a piece of equipment is shut down. Um, they, they know what manufacturing is about. And so they are really can connect with, with the uh, learners. And then some of our other areas, uh, we use some pretty, you know, we have some um, professors on, on staff, uh, you know, maybe for like diversity. Um, so, so we really are looking for experts. Yeah, that, um, like that idea, like just investing in your workforce to help your company thrive, you know, and uh, aptly named Peak Performance, right? So must have had a good branding firm help you out with that. Manufacturing and life doesn't stop. So you've got to figure out yeah. ways to make it approachable and practical, right? You know, so with that said, you know, we, we always like to kind of to end these, Denise, with kind of what we like to call this is your opportunity for a shameless plug. Say that I am a leader at a manufacturing organization, you know, or someone who is in charge of workforce development. And there's so many different ways to approach that, right? You've already described some of them. So say I'm in that situation and really want to wrap my head around the best way to get started or maybe you know, what that conversation looks like and how do I get started down that path? What would you recommend to our audience? Uh, well, first, uh, as a shameless plug, I would really encourage people to check out our website. Um, we link to the different associations and if your state is not on there, you can right through our website, you can send us a message and we can help you link up with, with your state. Um, we offer not only worker trainings, we offer assessments, uh, you know, 360 assessments, um, uh, Accu uh, recruiting, uh, AccuVision, um, so that if you're trying to assess uh, what your uh, employees need. Of course, we do consulting. We even hold events. Uh, we have a virtual uh, event for Engineers Week that's coming up here. Um, even right down to the point where you can purchase um, PPE and gifts for your employees off of off of our website. So I encourage you to check it out, sign up, uh, let us know what you're interested in. You can even schedule an appointment for a demo. Um, of course, it's at no cost. I'm a plant manager, so uh, so I know uh, we we offer that at no cost. Um, and uh, um, just drop us a line, and we'll help you out any way that we can. And Denise, what's your URL for your website? It is www.peakperformanceinc.com. 
Com. Uh, and, and Denise, again, thank you for making some time for us this afternoon. I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting thoughts. And again, of all, above all else, like everybody's better when we're working together. And I think that like you really vividly describe how taking that approach can really transform a manufacturing organization, which really it's, Dana, I think that's what the series is about, right? So. Yeah, it's about how do we transform manufacturing and really make it more inclusive and make it more diverse. Uh, yeah, Denise, like, again, we can't thank you enough. I think there was a ton of great insights for our audience and, you know, looking forward to catching up with you again soon, I'm sure. So I would love to. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Dana. And Thanks, Denise. To the audience, we'll see you again soon. Same place. So have a great one.